You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, here we go in our um, year-long series again in the book of Acts. We are in that. And within this, we have our sub-series. And our sub-series, we're dividing Acts up into six different Acts. Act 1 is the church begins. And boy, is that ever true in our passage today. Um, if you marvel at salvation history as much as I do, by the way, like, I'm just so excited to see so many of you at the 12 o'clock service. That's so great. I'm so encouraged by that. That's very exciting. All right, back to my message. All right, here we go. So if, you're, if you marvel at salvation history as much as I do, then our text today details uh, one of the most important world-changing events in the history of the world, like, like, and that's no exaggeration. Um, literally, um, because of what happens in Acts 2, the world would never be the same again. You can look at it this way too. We exist here today under God's sovereign plan as spirit, if we're saved, as spirit-filled believers because of the power and the witness that occurred in Acts 2. If this didn't happen, we're not here. Uh, the gospel's not spread, certainly doesn't get to Canada, and we're not here 2,000 years later testifying to the reality of Jesus Christ. That's how big a deal this text is. you got to see it kind of in its context. So that being said, too, we can choose to be excited for things like our temporal parties and programs or be excited about our plans or our personal performances. And we can be excited about our promotions or paydays or our projects or our playing or our podcasts or our pictures in Instagram or our sports teams in the playoffs and soon to be excited about orange pumpkins, okay? We can be excited about all that. We're going to put that all aside today, okay? We're going to put that all aside at least for a few minutes because we're going to discipline ourselves to be so thrilled with the power of Pentecost here today. Our sermon title, our Pentecost power. This is where we're going. Bible's open to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read the first four verses, and we're going to jump in and exposit this text together. So, Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, most likely the 120 that were spoken of in Acts 1. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Amazing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so when we turn to Acts 2, remember, the ascension had taken place 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. The disciples now are 10 days after the ascension. So they've been praying and waiting for 10 days. And now we're on the day of Pentecost, and this is what takes place. So when it comes to Pentecost, what do we need to learn and know? Let's jump right into our outline. Number one is this. We must appreciate its purpose and power. Another word I thought appreciate, we must apprehend um, the purpose and the power of Pentecost. So look again at verse 1, and notice it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Let's just stop right there. Okay, here's my first question for you right now. My first question for all of us. Why is the day of Pentecost here so significant? What was, how about this, what, what was the day of Pentecost? Well, once again, the plan and purpose and perfection of our God blows my mind. Why? Acts 2 is a massive chapter 
listen carefully, within the unfolding of the new covenant story. Like there's a whole new age that begins with Acts chapter 2. One commentator says this, Acts 2 is a new structure that bring old structures to their appointed end, okay? So here officially, again, old covenant, man, is no longer. Like this is the birth of the church right here in Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. It's the birth of the church, and now we launch into the age of grace. Now we are here in what the Bible calls the last days, which we still are now. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. This is how significant this is. Now, Pentecost, again, for the Israelites, for God's people, Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. Pentecost literally means the 50th. So that's why it's 50 days after Passover. Now, what did Passover represent? You should know this. Passover commemorated the deliverance of God's people from the angel of death across Egypt. It was a very powerful remembrance of the blood of the lamb that was spread on the doorposts of the people of God that the angel of death may not take again the child in their home. Fifty days later for the Israelites... Israel was at Sinai, and God's law was given through Moses. It was here that they were instructed to keep a feast or a festival that would bring first fruits as an offering to God. The offering at this festival carried meaning, listen, listen, of both the hope of the harvest, but also thanksgiving for God's provision. So one of the things we need to know, again, when it comes to the Jewish festivals, okay, is that Pentecost was inseparable from Passover. Passover necessitated and led to Pentecost. You say, well, why? Why? Because Pentecost only existed symbolically from a previous work of God. So the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, as it's also called, It wasn't just about agriculture, because that was part of it. It was really about redemption. Some of you are like, I don't understand. Please help me understand. Good, let's do that together. The symbolism of Pentecost was, if God was able to redeem his people, Passover, if he was able to redeem his people from sin, then he was also able to provide for them in their lives and in the days to come, just as he promised. That's why Passover must lead to Pentecost. In other words, God doesn't deliver us just to desert us. God saves us, listen, because he's also going to supply for us. So some of us are picking it up a little bit, but let's join together again. So fast forward to Acts chapter 2. It gets very powerful and very meaningful. This blew me away this week, okay? So what happens is, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 would be the last Pentecost ever. Why? Because 50 days earlier was the last Passover ever. And that was the last Passover ever because the sacrifice, to end all sacrifices, was sacrificed by God in the form of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is sent as God's Lamb, as the perfect sacrifice, as the payment for our sin. So when Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. Meaning the payment for sin has been made. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Thereby ending, again, the need for the old covenantal system. 
And therefore, in that moment, the Passover itself was fulfilled through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Make sense? Okay? So what happens is then, if Passover has been fulfilled, then now it's time for Pentecost to be fulfilled as well. See, Jesus dies and is raised and ascends into heaven, but now the fulfillment of his promised provision has come. Let me take another lap around the track just to get a few more people on board, okay? So he paid for our sin on the cross. He pummeled death in his resurrection. And now he provides his spirit, again, through Pentecost as he gives it to his church. And remember also, the ascension is so important because if Jesus doesn't ascend, then the Holy Spirit would not be given. So when you kind of take all this biblical context, and it's a lot in some ways, but man, when you do all of this, I mean, if you just stop like me long enough and you kind of look upon what's happening, you're like, um, God is awesome. I mean, God is so awesome. Pentecost represented the provision of God upon his people. So the ultimate fulfillment of this Jewish feast of Pentecost was the provision of the Holy Spirit as a direct result of Jesus being the Passover lamb. If you're starting to pick up what the Holy Spirit's putting down right now, here's what you're starting to see. The Jewish calendar of feasts, as much as they were used in the days of the Old Testament, at the end of the day, the Jewish calendar of feasts was ultimately put there as an outline for the work of Jesus Christ. Now this, I'm not sure how many of you have gotten this yet, and we're going to do another lap around the track. When I got this this week in a new way, and a fresh way, again, I honestly had to sit back from my desk in my study, and I had to sit back and just worship. Like I was overwhelmed at the reality of God's precision and sovereignty and perfection and glory and thoughtfulness and wisdom and orchestration. Again, I'm gathering some of you. Let's get a few more together here too. Here's a summary right here, okay? The Jewish feasts are fulfilled in Jesus. Now just put this in your spiritual, in your spiritual pipe and smoke it right now, okay? This is going to be really good stuff, okay? okay? Jesus dies at Passover, exactly on Passover. Oh, he just happened to die on Passover. That, that was a coincidence, not, okay? Jesus is the Passover lamb. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the lambs were being slaughtered in the temple at the same time. But now there's no more lambs need to be slaughtered because the Lamb of God was slaughtered for our sin, the perfect sacrifice. No more, not needed. That's why the temple curtain's torn from top to bottom. Amazing. Two days later, in the Jewish feast calendar, is the Feast of First Fruits. Two days later, this happened to be on Resurrection Sunday. Imagine that. Okay, and what would they celebrate in the Feast of First Fruits was a sample of the harvest to come. Jesus Christ is called the first fruits twice in 1 Corinthians 15. He is the first fruits of the glorified proof over death in the resurrected body. He is the sample of the harvest to come. He just happens to be raised from the dead on the day of the Jewish Feast of First Fruits. Hmm, amazing. 
50 days later, precisely 50 days later, the Holy Spirit is then given at the Feast of Pentecost, which was celebrated to see the harvest had come and God's provision was given. But now it's at a whole nother level. Now it's the promised provision of the Holy Spirit of God as seen in Acts chapter 2. So yeah, well, the exact day of the Passover, Jesus dies. And the exact day of the Feast of First Fruits, he's raised from the dead. On the exact day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given to the church, again, never to leave them again. When you start doing some theological, biblical, understanding, context, math, three words come to mind right here. Here we go. Three words come to mind. I mean, wow. Like, honestly, wow. Who can, who can orchestrate such things? I mean, who can, who can cause these things? You think it's man? Like, really? Who's in charge of this world? I mean, who's, who's, who's ordaining all the events? Who's the one that's, that's totally, exactly predicting and orchestrating salvation and to see come through? One is. God is. God is. And he is worthy of our praise to be worshipped. Again, you just see all of this? This is why it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, God proved he was God yet again in his plan of salvation, in the history of redemption across this world. I mean, honestly, church, I mean, come on, how awesome is God, right? I mean, like, I mean, if you're, if you're anything like me right now, you're looking at this and you're like, mm, I need to worship him more, right? I got one amen from that? Oh, man, man, you, you should be way more awake than the 830 service, right, right, right? I love you, I love you. God, help us to see and to marvel at the sovereignty and the blessing of God. I got one amen. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, so how's that for the purpose of Pentecost, but now for its power, okay? Now for its power. Look at verse 2 now. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, notice, as of fire, like fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so notice three things about the power of the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost. Notice wind, fire, and Spirit-filled utterance. I want to take these one at a time. Wind. Uh, wind was a common biblical symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. Think of Ezekiel 37 and the valley of dry bones. And God prophesies, I will, I will pour my breath. I will, I will breathe on the dry bones and they will come to life. And just the breath of the Lord is, is prophesying the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that causes those that are dead to come to life. That is awesome. Think of Jesus in John 3. Uh, he said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. That's a direct reference to the Holy Spirit of God and regeneration. And now notice our text says a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's, it's, it's important to read the word always what the word says, not what you think it might mean. It's, it's very unlikely there's an actual feeling of wind at this Pentecost described. It says there was a sound like. So it's incredibly likely that there's this one translation um, does in the Greek, violent sound, like a, a mighty, mighty rushing wind. Imagine being in, the, in this upper room, wherever they were. Imagine being there. It's like a freight train ran through the center of it. 
Like just the rattling, the shaking of the sound was so intense. And you're just like overcome again by this incredible moment. It's an absolute incredible scene to try to apprehend. This was the arrival of the permanent dwelling of the Spirit of God upon the church. And then we have uh, fire. There was fire. Fire has always meant the presence of God in Scripture. Um, The glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on Sinai. Um, Think of the fire in the burning bush with Moses. You are standing on holy ground. Uh, Think of the pillar of fire at night leading God's people through the wilderness throughout Exodus. And notice carefully in in, in verse 3 it says, Divided tongues as of fire. So we're not exactly sure what this looked like, but it says from the text here, this wasn't actually literal fire. It looked like fire. Here's one artist's rendition of what this might have looked like. I really, I'm a very visual learner. So like this might have, but just kind of captures us to see what looked like tongues of fire descending upon each one of the church that was there and the mighty rushing wind, the sound of that. I mean, you, you have to imagine if you ever been filled and overcome by the presence of God, you would have some inkling and sense, times that by how many, and you have this absolutely God-fearing, heaven-drop-down moment of incredible awe and wonder and just completely mesmerized in absolute reverence and awe and, and utter devastation humbly, but then looking up and sensing the glory of the Lord. This is what was taking place at Pentecost. Now, what we do know for sure from the text, the text says, these tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So that's incredible. See, well, why is that incredible? Because the presence of God in the Old Testament rested upon the nation of Israel generally. Now, no, n- notice now, okay? Now you have a massive new significance. What is that? The Holy Spirit now is given, and he is now resting on each believer individually. So, so that, is, that is the turning point right there. Now God has given the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell each person who is saved in Christ individually. The purifying fire of God resting on each genuine believer, symbolically burning away the dross. Imagine the purification. Imagine the passion. Imagine the holiness and the reverence. An incredible moment. If you look at verse 11 too, verse 11 tells that when they were given utterance and speaking by the Holy Spirit, it says they were speaking the mighty words of God. So we don't have to question what they were saying in that sense. They were declaring, what do we learn from this? When, when you are filled by God's Spirit, you are filled with God. When you are filled with God, you proclaim God. One of the great signs you are filled by God's Spirit is you're not talking about yourself. One of the great signs your church is filled and being led by the presence of the Lord, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about the Lord. We're giving the Lord glory. When you are overcome by the presence of God, you instantly become nothing is what we are. And then you instantly want to praise and just adore and exalt. And you kind of get crushed in the best sense of that word. And you just magnify and magnify and magnify the greatness and the glory of God. That's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 2. And the baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Look at verse 4 now. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. So awesome and supernatural. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. What is this? This is the birth of the church. Remember this too, loved ones. Up until now, the Holy Spirit was with the disciples, but now he is in the disciples. So what's happening in Acts 2, 1 to 4, this is the promise fulfilled of Acts 1, 5, where Jesus says, not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the church and for all those that are there within this gathering. This is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have the initial baptism of God's Spirit, and then from there, subsequently, you will have many fillings of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. Okay, Adrian Rogers said it so well. He said it this way. Being baptized with the Spirit means He is now resident in your heart. Comparatively, being filled with the Holy Spirit means He is now president within your heart or on your heart. That's really good. That's, that's really well said. Okay, so baptized. So at our church, we, we emphatically believe God's Word teaches one baptism, many fillings. At conversion, when you are regenerated, you are born again, the Bible labels it, okay? You are born again. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. This is what's taking place in Acts chapter 2. The baptism of the Spirit of God is given to the church. After that, many, many fillings. But we don't believe second baptism in that language. We mean many fillings of God's Spirit because we quench Him and grieve Him. But there's one initial baptism of the Spirit. You are regenerated by the, the Holy Spirit. New creation. But being filled with Him means we, He's now president of our heart and he, it means He's total control. He dominates. He takes over. He's in charge, not our flesh. It's the filling of God's Spirit. One baptism. Many, many, many fillings is what we long for. So again, right here in our text, one of the top turning points of all of history. Right before us in just a few verses, the world would never be the same again. It just, it, it just wouldn't. You know, there's, a, there's a, a new song the last couple of weeks that captures this. This song was sent to me. I'm so blessed by it. I love this so much. It's called King of Kings. And on one of the verses, it says this. It says, In the morning that she rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. It's such, it's such good words. It's so gospel. It's so awesome. And often songs would kind of end here at this point, maybe moving into eschatology, which is amazing and brilliant. But this song takes a twist we weren't kind of expecting. And here's what the next verse says, which I've been just so much, so much to me. It speaks of our passage today. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. That's like, yeah, that. That fires me up, man. That's good. That's good. And look at this. Now this gospel truth of old, it's very well written, shall not kneel and shall not faint. I just, personally, I love, I love truth in Scripture, and I love when we sing things about, when God start, starts something, he's, he's not going to be stopped, man. Like, he, he's an unstoppable God. And the gospel truth of old, the world might scoff at it and condemn it and ridicule it. At the end of the day, it's going to go forward. It's going to change lives. Um, God's going to get glory. This is just the reality. But I love it. Here's what, the church of Christ was born. The spirit lit the flame. You think God's going to let that fire go out? Uh, no. Uh, no. 
across this world today. God is sovereignly and perfectly moving as he decides. And from the response of this truth then is, by his blood and his name, by his spirit I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. That's so good. And it fires us up. Again, that song's called King of Kings. That's so, so, so great. And it captures the essence of what we're doing right now. In this text, so powerful. Let me also pause for a moment and point out the obvious here. Think of how absolutely world-changing Acts 2 is. But think also, church loved ones, think also the church had no strategy. There's no programs. There's no pragmatism. They didn't have surveys trying to figure out what people liked. There's no flashy advertising. But they did have one thing, person. They had the Holy Spirit now. And their impact would be, no exaggeration, absolutely world-changing, history-changing. The power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, he says this on the screen for you. He said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what we're doing in our churches would go right on and nobody would know the difference. What an indictment that is. God, please, not here ever. He says this. This is so good. I do not believe in a repetition of Pentecost. Okay, There's only one Pentecost initially. I love this, but I do believe in a perpetuation of Pentecost, in the dependence, in the need for the filling of God's Spirit to do what only God can do. And he says, and there's a vast difference between the repetition and perpetuation. That is so good and so true. That needs to be so us. So us. The tremendous longing and desire as the early church were completely dependent. So are we. Less of the ways of humanity and more of the ways of God upon our lives. When it comes to Pentecost, we've got to appreciate its purpose and power and apprehend it. And then number two, this. We must be amazed at its impact. Amazed at the impact. Look at uh, verse 5 now. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Wow. And at the sound, notice this, live in the text, and at the sound, the multitude came together. Like, what in the world's happening? And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's a mouthful, huh? There's a lot there. Why is that all being detailed? It's been rightly said that Pentecost in Acts 2 was the first true revival. And it really was, too. And what's a, what's a genuine revival, biblically speaking? A revival is an incredible, supernatural visitation of God. I want you to notice verse 2. Verse 2 says, and suddenly. Okay, so here's what you got to know. When it comes to a genuine revival of God, you can't conjure it up. You can't like, hey, we're going to have a program. So when you see like a tent that says revival this week, okay, they don't really know what they're talking about, Okay. I mean, they may be hoping something's going to happen, but you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't plan a revival, okay? That's impossible. God is the only one who decides when true revival takes place. The early church is sitting, they're, they're literally sitting down, the text says, meaning they probably weren't even praying at this point. 
They prayed standing or kneeling in their context. They're sitting down, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, tongues as a fire, and they're filled by God's Spirit and completely taken by total storm. Surprise. Awesome. You don't plan a revival, man. God does it. You can pray for it. Please do, by the way. Join me in praying for a revival of the Lord and his glory. But you don't make it happen. God is the only one who makes it happen. A revival is a community of believers engulfed in the presence of God that automatically pours out from them into the lost and dying world. True revival is undeniable, irrefutable, and in many ways unexplainable other than one word, God. And speaking of unexplainable, the Holy Spirit fills the disciples here and they begin to speak in all sorts of different languages. The Holy Spirit gives them the miracle ability to speak in a tongue that is not their own. A different language is so clear from the text. And you see the phrase in verse 5, it says, devout men from every nation under heaven. So Luke's understanding of his current world, he was actually naming all known people groups in his modern day. Amazing. And the reaction of the visitors to Jerusalem. And by the way, again, when God wants to make a statement, I mean, he knows at Pentecost you will have all the visitors from, again, all over the world coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And he knows, man, you want to you make an imprint? You want to make a splash? Now's the time. And he starts having all these other languages being spoken by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's absolutely amazing. So the visitors, they, they are astonished. They are flabbergasted. They are absolutely dumbfounded what was happening here. The men are marveling in amazement. God has sent a massive sign right here at this time and this day and this Pentecost, 50 days. Again, after the Passover, and here we are. And God says, I have arrived as far as giving my spirit to the church. The world will never be the same again. And furthermore, you know what's just as incredible? Some biblical theology for you. The spoken foreign languages at Pentecost was a declaration of the kingdom. You say, I don't understand what you mean. What else could declare the multiracial, multinational, multilingual nature of the kingdom of Christ than what happened right here at this time with all these languages being spoken? And that is awesome. Do you get what I'm saying there? You know, for 2,000 years, commentators have viewed this event as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. Think about that. Think about that. This is meaty. What happened to Babel? At Babel, the languages were confused and the people were scattered. Now in Acts 2, at Pentecost, the language barrier is supernaturally overcome. The people are gathered. See what's happening here? The curse of sin confuses the people and sends them scattered. By the redemption of Jesus Christ, language barriers are overcome. The people are gathered into the bride of Jesus Christ. This, is, of course, is so prophetic. And this is a sign the day when every tribe, nation, language, and tongue would be gathered to Jesus Christ again around his throne at the marriage supper of the Lamb because that is the outworking, that is the, the, the profundity of the gospel right here through the giving of the Holy Spirit. You see that? That's good. That's so good. I can't quite tell. The 12 o'clock's picking up what's being said. I, re- I, I really hope you are. Because like, when I, when I, I'm telling you, like, it changes my life. And so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. But all, at the end of the day, it's up to the Holy Spirit that he's communicating. Like, some of you are looking at me with like, you're looking at me and you're listening. I can't quite tell if it's kind of like, 
You know what I mean? Or it's like, you know what I mean? So it's all good though. It's all good. We're trusting him. But I'm really hoping, because again, in the end, I can't do it. Do my best in the Lord. But we're hoping here, if you get this stuff, man, it's just like, maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're just like, man, wow, you know? Maybe I just need to stop for a second, let you kind of digest, right? That'd be good. It's pretty neat, eh? Uh, I love our church, man. Church is so great. And you know what? Like at the 12 o'clock service, you get to have moments where you pause from your notes and say things like that, all right? And you get to interact a little bit because you have no time constraints. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. <laughs> Once again, back to the message, okay? I want you to see this about Pentecost as well, okay? At Pentecost, it's unfortunate that in the last several decades, Pentecostalism or Pentecost is mostly, when I say that word, you'll think of speaking in tongues, or you'll think of a charismatic kind of hunger to be in a certain phase or feel a certain way. But really, when you see the purity of Pentecost in Acts 2, what's it really about? The whole purpose of the giving of the Holy Spirit, true biblical Pentecostalism, is the evangelization of the nations. Like, it's for the witness of the gospel to the church. You can't argue with me about it based on right here. The whole reason the Holy Spirit's given is not for some charismatic feeling, Right? It's about, the, it's about the gospel going forward to reach the nations for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's true biblical Pentecostalism. And it's sad how it's been kind of taken and kind of moved in different directions. Not that the other parts aren't important, a certain gift, or again, a certain like, desire for the, for the presence of God. That can be awesome, right? But not to take away from the actual purity of what actually happened in the first Pentecost, which is again the witness for the gospel to the nations. So in verse 12, notice, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another. So I, I think there's two groups of people here. In verse 12, there's one. And they say, what does this mean? That's a great question. They're like, okay, what's happening here? What is going on? Like something, something is stirring up here. And they want to know, what does it mean? And again, if, if they could see the big picture, it means that Jesus Christ is alive and he's building his church. It means that God will never be stopped by the futility of man. It means that God has a sovereign plan to redeem and gather the nations. It means that what began at Pentecost actually began in Genesis 3 with the curse of sin when God set in motion his plan to redeem and save the world from sin. And this will soon be fulfilled at the return of Jesus Christ when he will gather all his people to himself in perfection and forever defeating sin and death and Satan. It means that the Holy Spirit has now been given in the lives of every genuine true believer and it also means on the very day that this took place 3,000 people will be saved as an initiation of the church by all people apostle Peter who will stand up in the next couple of weeks we're going to unpack even this whole second point in detail can't wait but that day 3,000 people are brought to Christ as God makes a massive statement saying again I have given my spirit and the world is changed as of today it is so awesome and so amazing and should fill us with such faith because the same spirit given then is the spirit that lives in us today for those of us who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost is powerful. We appreciate its power. We are amazed at its impact. And thirdly, this, we must anticipate, though, the scoffers. Anticipate the scoffers. Look at verse 13. But others mocking said, so you have one group that's like, hey man, what's happening here? I want to know. I want to know. This is amazing. But listen, whenever you have a genuine work of the Spirit of God, okay, you will always, always have those in opposition to it. This will be a cycle all through Acts. We're going to see this over and over and over again this year, okay? 
And we see it starting off here right now too. What happens? God um, empowers his church to preach the gospel, okay? Lives are transformed, amazing things happen. Opposition is raised up, and then God comes and rescues and restores, heals his people, and the gospel is proclaimed again. This begins to happen right here. You have people who are doubting and scoffing and denying and trying to get in the way of what God is doing. Again, loved ones, that's a guarantee. Don't be discouraged. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I get discouraged too. But the reality is it's kind of promised. It's promised. Whenever God is powerfully at work, be ready again. The opposition is not far behind, but we need not fear, okay? We need not fear. Why? Because for 2,000 years, opponents of the gospel have been seeking to destroy the gospel, deny the gospel, dismiss the gospel, and certainly doubt the gospel. But listen, in the end, 2,000 years later, we're still here, okay? We're still here. I love that chant. We're still here, right? So that's, that's true. Again, you can never, ever diminish the power of Pentecost. You will never be able to get rid of the gospel. You will never defeat Jesus Christ. What he has started, he will finish. And he is for you, and he loves you, and he lives in you. So you can have all the confidence of heaven itself and all eternity and know that when Jesus Christ has died for you, your sins are forgiven, and his spirit reigns in you, then you can gather just like the church here and say, we might be polls but we will never ever be defeated nothing and no one will ever be able amen amen so encouraged this 12 o'clock service this is so great no one and nothing will ever be able to diminish the power of pentecost ever and this is what again this is this is what's so great and this we're kind of launching into acts chapter 2 obviously this week and i'm excited for the next two weeks as we unpack it fully but my prayer right now is we kind of just try to grasp a bit some of you i i, I know some of you what you've heard you got go back and listen again like like if you oh man, I, I got a bit of that but you kept kind of talking fast and then i'm whatever but go back Get it again. Take the time. It's so much better than a TV show, okay? This is so much more valuable than something on Netflix right now, okay? This is so much more important than some hobby you're going to do today and whatever it is. I'm telling you, this is eternity. This is discipleship. This is faith. This is all of us coming together in the power of Christ and to be used of him in the time that we have. So I have an idea of what we should do now in light of all this. Um, we should sing. So I want to sing together these truths, and I'm so excited to do that because that's what music was ultimately created for. And so I'm praying we'll have tremendous joy and faith um, as we do. Love you so much. Let's pray. Father, you love us so much. You've proven that through your son Jesus, who was given as our Passover lamb. You've proven that to us as our sin was paid. And on the, on the day of the first fruits, the festival, Jesus was raised from the dead as him being our first fruits of the resurrected body, never to be subject to death again. And then at Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was given as promised, and the world would never be the same again. And this is our promise. We have been indwelt and filled with the very Spirit of God, taken up resident in our heart. And now we pray, Lord, be our president. Be the president of our heart. Holy Spirit, control everything, every thought, every affection, and our wills. Even as we sing now, I pray we'd rejoice in what is true. It's not I cross my fingers hope it's true. It's a guaranteed hope. And we have that here at Hope. And so I pray you'd use it in such a wonderful, wonderful way, Lord. I pray you would lead your church to pray more and more in these days. A greater level of, Lord, we believe you're working. 
and that you will choose to save lives, save lives today, and save so many as the days and the days to come. We thank you for this time to gather. Thank you for the privilege and the peace that we get to do it in. And now, Lord, don't waste it. Don't waste it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.